0: Amen. Well, we are in uh, Leviticus. I mean, I'm sorry, Leviticus. That's where we are on Thursday. We are in Hebrews uh, chapter 7. And, uh, you know, I do want to begin by sharing this with you. I know, uh, you know, when I, was, uh, without, when I was younger, I used to like watching uh, the uh, mystery programs. You know, you had uh, Perry Mason and, and you had Columbo, right? And you had Matlock. And, you know, I used to like watching them. And for those of you that may be younger, maybe Scooby-Doo cartoons or something like that, those were also mysteries, right? And so these were, this is what used to be on TV. Quite a number of these shows were on. And as I talk about a mystery, i like to share with you that what we're going to be talking about today is, is a mysterious person. This person is just, uh, you know, he, he, he comes into the scene and, and, uh, and then he leaves quickly. You know, his name is Melchizedek. And as we read about Melchizedek, I want us to open up to Genesis chapter 14. And let's begin to read about him. In Genesis 14, it, it shows this man appearing on the scene. And then he disappears in verse 18, I apologize. In verse 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So we have this guy that comes into the scene, Melchizedek, you know, and as he comes into the scene, you know, where did he come from? And all of a sudden, you know what, this is all that we hear about him. And as we know, in the time of Abraham, you know, we look back and we see, you know, this was over, you know, 2000 years before the Lord came. And then a thousand years later, we hear of this same Melchizedek. And I want us to open up in Psalm. In the book of Psalms 110. See, he arrives on the scene and disappears. And then King David, he writes of this man a thousand years later. And there in verse four, it says, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And as we think about this, you know, even to the Jews, they're wondering to themselves, you know what, who is this Melchizedek? You know, the Jews to themselves are thinking, you know, what's, you know, what is, who is he? He came and, and Abraham gives him ties and, and Melchizedek blesses Abraham and, and so he's gone and never hear from him again and all of a sudden David, David writes about Melchizedek. And this was actually a revelation from the Lord to David. You know, David and the Lord were one. They had an intimate relationship. You know, David always sought to please the Lord. And he loved God. And we know that the Lord would give him illuminations. He would give him truths and prophetic truths. and, And he would give it to him. And what David would do is he would write about him. And these were prophetic things that, only God knew, and he used David to give these things to us. And so we have this going on here, right? And, and he was a mystery to the Jews, and he was a mystery to all of us until we come into Hebrews, which Hebrews is written a thousand years later after this Psalm 110 was written. And that's where, as we go to Hebrews, you know, we as Christians are given insight as to who Melchizedek is and why he came on the scene and and what he represents. And this is what the Lord wants us to know about him, the qualities that were in this man, the things that were in this man are very similar to the Lord. And we know that everything points to the Lord. See, Jesus wants you to know him personally. He wants you to know him intimately. And how do you know the Lord intimately and personally? I think the only way to really know who he is and who his character is and what his nature is, is through his word, right? You know what? We just, you know what? We can say we know God, but do we truly know who he is? You know, I know my wife intimately and I have a relationship with my wife, but If I just knew her by name or if she was just a neighbor of mine, I would not know her intimately. I would not know about her because we wouldn't be spending time with each other. She wouldn't be revealing things about herself to me. And this is what the word of God does. That's why it's so important as we come to church. This is why God would want us to be here, to to be understanding and being taught the word as he told Mary, right? He told Mary, he says, you desire what is good. And what was what is good? To sit at his feet and to listen to him, to his word. Remember, Martha was so busy, right? She was busy, always working. And and she even complained to Jesus saying, you know what? Get my sister to help me. She just wants to be there sitting at your feet, not doing anything. And there's work to do. And the Lord reminded her. And that's when he told her that she desires what is good. And coming to church is good because we get to hear about the Lord. We get to read about the Lord. See, Melchizedek, I'm going to talk to you about him. His name means righteousness. So as he's called the king of righteousness, I mean, I'm sorry, he's called King Melchizedek, it means King of Righteousness. He was called the King of Salem. And Salem was the name of, the early name of Jerusalem. Salem was the name, early name of Jerusalem. And so, what does Salem mean? What does Shalom mean? It means peace. So we not only have a king of righteousness, but we also have a king of peace. And not only that, but as we read there, he was called the priest of the Most High God. So we know that, you know what, no king ever, as I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, has, ever, has also been a priest. So King Melchizedek was the first one that we see here, That is termed as king and priest. And so, you know, there was a a guy by the name of Saul who became king. And remember, he also wanted to be a priest as he was offering sacrifices and doing what the priests do. And what did the Lord do after he attempted to do that? He kicked him out. He says, you ain't going to be king anymore because only the king can be king And the priest must be priest. And I choose a priest. You don't elect yourselves. King Uzziah, him too. He wanted to become a priest. And the Lord brought leprosy upon him. So we know that, you know what, that there was no one else but King Melchizedek. And there will be another as we will keep explaining this to you. But King Melchizedek, as we see here, these are the only places that he's mentioned in Genesis and in Psalm and now in the book of Hebrews but before that right he comes into the scene we don't have any information about him he has no beginning and then as he leaves he has no ending so we don't know anything about him and most people that were of such importance you always had a genealogy of them to know where they came from and who they were So this guy has no father. He has no mother mentioned. He has no birth. He has no ending. He appears and he disappears. But one thing that we see is that he blesses Abraham. And you think to yourself, you know what? This man blesses Abraham. We know one thing that the lessers are always blessed by the greater, right? So we begin to have an idea that As we read there in Genesis, that Melchizedek is greater, what, than Abraham. And secondly, we also see that Abraham gives tithing to Melchizedek, meaning that the lesser will always pay tithing to the greater. And so Melchizedek, as we see by the actions of Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nation, is greater than Abraham. And some people believe that Melchizedek is a theophany. And a theophany, what that is, it is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Some people believe that. Some people believe that this is Jesus in the flesh that came. And then there's others that believe that he is only a type of Christ. But if you notice there in Genesis, as we read Genesis 14, what did Melchizedek come with? He came with bread and with wine. Do you remember Jesus at the Last Supper? What did he give for? Bread and wine. See, this was the first introduction of that. So, you know, a lot of these, there's a lot of similarities. And so people begin to think, you know what, that maybe he is the pre-incarnate Christ, the theophany, a, 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 a Jesus in, in the flesh. Or he could be the type of Christ, and I'll let you Make up your mind. I don't want to sway you in either way, and I'll let you determine that. And with that, we're going to begin to read in Hebrews chapter 7. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. You know, one thing about as we read here, I'm sorry, let's read in verse three. It says without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God remains a priest continually. So we're given a lot of insight here about King Melchizedek and actually what happened there in the Old Testament. See, the king of Salem, meaning king of peace, the king of righteousness, because Melchizedek means that. He meets Abraham, as we read there, after a battle. And Abraham, this was his first major victory. You know, Abraham, you know what? When he walked around, people knew that he was a man of God. He knew that he didn't worship the heathen gods because he would build temples and and he would leave them there. And then he'd go to another place and he'd do the same. And no one wanted to mess with Abraham. But one thing is that he had a nephew, Lot. And do you remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot wanted, you know what he wanted? You know what he says? When Abraham, who's older, who was his uncle, he says, you know what, Lot? I'll give you the opportunity to choose the land that you want. Instead of Lot saying, you know what? You're the older. I'm going to give it to you. You're my uncle. He says, you know what? I want that side over there. I want the place that looks green and beautiful. That's what I want. And we know what was happening in Sodom. We know what was happening in in Gomorrah. The perversion that was going on there. The homosexuality that was just running rampant over there. And so what happens is there's these four kings that battle five kings and One of those kings was a king of Sodom. And so when Lot was there, they took captive of all the people. And so Abraham would do what any other relative would do, right, that loves his family and his people. He goes out and he goes battles with these kings. And Abraham has victory, a major victory. Imagine one group of people. That goes and fights four kings that defeated five other kings. And why was that? Because God is with Abraham, right? And so what Abraham does is he brings back Lot and all the people. And he gets all the spoils that they took from Sodom and Gomorrah and the other kingdoms that they defeated. He took all the spoils. And so we know here that King Melchizedek, he meets him. And Abraham gives him a tenth of the spoils. See, at this time, the law of Moses, the law that was given to Moses, hadn't been given to Abraham. And so the requirement of giving a tenth of your, of, of your earnings, a tenth of your possessions to the Lord, it hadn't been implemented at this time. It wasn't the law. It hadn't been commanded. And so we see Abraham that's giving him a tenth, a tenth to this priest of the Most High God. And when Moses gave the law of the tithing, the Levitical priest would take all the tithing and the Lord says, you know what, this is all for you, Levi priest. I'm going to give all this money to you guys because I'm not giving you land and you're going to receive these earnings for the service unto me. And so, As we look at this, and I bring this up because we're going to talk about this in just a bit, but I want to talk about King Melchizedek further when it comes to king of righteousness and king of peace. You know what? How many of us, before we came to know the Lord, are looking for peace? Peace within our soul. Peace within our hearts. See, unless you have righteousness, it won't bring you peace. Understand that. And what's so amazing is that peace comes from righteousness. And who is the righteousness that we receive? It is Jesus, right? This is why when you come to know Jesus, when you surrender your heart to him, what happens? You have peace that just overflows you. I remember when I surrendered myself finally to the Lord, there was a peace that came over me and I knew it. And it was like no other peace that I could have ever experienced in the past. And that was because I made peace with God and his righteousness was imputed upon me. It was, it was given to me on my behalf. And now I can face God because of my relationship of my surrender to Jesus Christ. I had made peace with God. See, you have people all over this community. You have people that are running right now a marathon, that they're doing this, but after the marathon is done, they return back to their restless lives. There is so much unrest going out in this land. You have people that have no peace, and because they have no peace, they seek to satisfy their voyage with the things of the world. And the things of the world destroys him. And yet, the righteousness from Christ is the only thing that brings us the peace that we need. As Christians, let me ask you, don't you sleep a lot better? Don't we sleep a lot better? You know what, I remember when I was in the world, I'd be always thinking, man, what did I do the night before? Oh, man, I messed up big time. Oh, man, I did this. I wonder if they're going to catch me. Oh, man, I messed around with this person and that person. And oh, man, what's going to happen now? I mean, there's so much what? Just things going on in your mind, so much unrest. You know what that you have no peace and nothing can bring you peace until you know that you're forgiven and you've made peace with God as you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. And so the writer He reminds us there at the end of verse 3 that King Melchizedek is like the Son of God, a type of Christ, and he remains a priest continually. In other words, he has no ending, right? If he remains a priest continually, that means that there is no end. You know, he's a forever priest. And as we read in verse 4, it says, Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithings from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. See, Melchizedek is superior to Abraham. And remember, to the Jews, Abraham was what? Their father. They look at Abraham like he's the greatest, right? The Jews look at him today, and Moses, the father and the one who gave them the law. But here we see that this writer of Hebrews is reminding them that, you know what, that Melchizedek is superior to Abraham. Why would Abraham give him tithings if he was not? And as we look at this, he reminds us that the priests received tithings from the people, And that's what I shared with you earlier, that tithings were received from the people and they were given to the Levites. But the Levites' genealogy, the people, they all come from Abraham. They come from the seed of Abraham. So let's keep reading. In verse 6, it says, but he whose genealogy is not derived, derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater. See, we have here a genealogy that didn't come from Abraham. But yet he received tithings from Abraham. And the Levitical, the people knew that we're supposed to give the tithings to the Levites, only to the priests that God has ordained to be spiritual leaders, to be our mediators we support them. We give them tithes as God has commanded us to. But yet, Abraham is giving to somebody that's not a part of his genealogy. Not one of us. How is that? And verse 7 goes on to say that the lesser is blessed by the greater. The le- by the better. The lesser is blessed by the better. So as we think about these things, we think to ourselves, you know, what is going on here? Or they're thinking to themselves, you know, what is going on here? See, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave him tithings. See, so you understand what's going on here and why this is so important to the people as they read this. See, the Jews that were here, they were thinking about going back to religion. Much of what we came out of. They were thinking of going back to the Mosaic law, the Levitical priesthood of the do's and the don'ts and the commands of God. And so as they were thinking about going back to this, he's telling them, you know what? There's a greater priesthood don't go back to that priesthood because that priesthood is lesser to this greater one that I will introduce you to. Which is coming from the line of King Melchizedek. See, the writer is revealing a great truth to them. And to them, they're like, man, this is tearing them up. Because see, Jews, Orthodox Jews are strict adherents and lovers of the law. And they want to do the law because they think that by doing these things, they are pleasing God. But we're going to talk about the law. And we're going to talk about these things. Let's keep reading. In verse 8, it says, here mortal man received tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, pays tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. See, the writer of Hebrews is making an argument as to who is the greater. And he's reminding them of the tithing. And he's reminding them that, you know what? You guys are all from Abraham. You guys all came from Abraham. And yet, in reality, you are giving tithing to somebody that is greater than Abraham. And he goes on to say why there is the need for a new priesthood. Let's read in verse 11. It says, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Remember, through Aaron came the Levitical priest. And he's saying, you know what, if these priests were perfect, why would God have a need for another priesthood? See, what he's trying to remind him there, that this priesthood brought the law. The law was given through the Levitical priests. Aaron, I mean, Moses was also from the tribe of Levi. And we all know one thing about the law. Let me ask you this. Think about this. Which one of you has kept the Ten Commandments to its perfection? Okay, do I see any hands up? Put that hand down. See, because none of us can keep the law. And what the law tells us is that if you don't keep the law, you're not going to heaven. You can't have fellowship with God. And so this was their need of the sacrifices, right? See, because what the law does, it condemns. See, when you break the law, the wages of sin is what? Is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through who? Through Christ Jesus. See, that's what he's saying. You know what? The law, the law condemns you. And the law came from the Levites and Aaron and Moses. And so this law can't offer eternal life. The only one that can offer eternal life is Jesus. That's why there was a need for a new priesthood. That's why there was a need. For these Jews to see the church filled with Hebrews, with Jews, to not return to that old system that brought them condemnation because the sacrifices only covered their sin for a while. That's why there was always a need of sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice because it never completely made them righteous It never completely took away their sin. You know as I read to you I'm going to read to you from Galatians In Galatians 3:19 it says there what purpose then does the law serve it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator the law came to show us that we are sinners until the seed should come. Who is the seed? Jesus Christ. You know, as we turn to, as I turn to Galatians 5, I'm going to read to you again from here. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty for which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the law. Again, the circumcision was part of all of this, thinking that if I'm circumcised, I'm fine. But he goes on to say, you have become estranged from Christ. If you believe in circumcision and the law, you who attend to be justified by these things, you have fallen from grace for we through the spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. See, this is us by faith. By faith, when you receive Jesus Christ, you are righteous before God. You have fellowship now before God. You can stand in the presence of God. Your sins have been forgiven. And I love what this says here, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, Therefore, my brethren, You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. See, faith in Christ brings us oneness with God. The priest couldn't help them. And they needed to realize that. But faith in Jesus does. It reunites us. The Levitical priesthood, it came to an end. And this new priesthood that we are introduced to is what is alive. And what is before us now as we go back to Hebrews. Let's read. In verse 12, it says, For the priesthood being changed. Remember, it is changed now. It's no longer about the Levitical priest. There is an end to that. And there is now... A new priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. It says, Of necessity, of necessity there is also a change of the law. Because the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? Through Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says, For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. In other words, there is now somebody knew. There is now another tribe because the Levites thought, you know what? It only through us can we officiate at the altar. God has only appointed us. No one else can do this. And now the writer is saying there is another tribe. Let's read in verse 14. It says, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. So It is evident, you know, the Lord didn't come from the Levitical tribe. He came from the tribe of Judah. And yet, you know what? They were never involved with the priesthood. And verse 15 says, and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. We are introduced now to the new priesthood. See, Jesus comes from the priesthood of Melchizedek. Even though he was from the tribe of Judah, his priesthood is from the line of Melchizedek. See, the punishment, the punishment that, that one is received by the law is no longer valid if one belongs to Jesus Christ. See, as it goes on to say in verse 17, it says, For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an, all- an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. What he's quoting from here is Psalm 110. What he's quoting from is Psalm one ten four. what we just read. And he's saying, you know what, that he testifies. You know who is a he that is, tes- that is testifying? It is God, the father that is testifying of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that Jesus brings a new hope through which we can draw near to God. Faith in Him and faith in His promises. See, the law offered no hope. It only condemned us. But Jesus offered us that hope in Him, right? That hope of salvation, that hope of fellowship with God. Verse 20 goes on to say, And inasmuch as He was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but He with an oath by Him who said to Him, The Lord has sworn... And you will not and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. See, what we have here is that God the Father has sworn, He has made an oath that Jesus Christ will be a priest forever. See, the Levitical priests, none of them ever received. This promise of God, this oath by God, by God the Father saying that they are going to be priests forever. But the only one to receive this was Jesus Christ. And it says there that Jesus Christ is surety of a better covenant. What does that mean? The covenant that God has made with man now to give us life, to give us a better life to give us life eternal, to wipe away our tears, our sorrows, our pain, to wipe away death when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. When we're in heaven, none of these things we're going to see, we're going to experience this. This is a promise of, of a better tomorrow. And this can only be through the surety of a better covenant through Christ, through Jesus Christ. And this is what we have See, none of this could be offered through the Levites, through the priests, but they can all be offered through Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. It says, also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. See what he's trying to say here, and he's telling him all the priests, the Levitical priests, every single one of them died, they didn't live forever. But I've made now an oath that Jesus Christ will live forever as our priest. See, I love this. See, because for us, he's saying that there can be no more change. That you know what Jesus Christ's ministry is now today? He's your high priest. That's what he's doing in heaven. He is your high priest praying for you, interceding on your behalf. Let's read what he's gonna be, what he's doing in verse 25, it says. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. His ministry is now twofold. One is those will be saved that believe in him. They will come to God. If you want to live forever, It can only be through faith in Christ. He can fulfill this promise. He is a surety of a better covenant. And what is he doing right now? Because we're still living. We haven't died, right? We're not in the presence of God. What's he doing for you today? He is interceding on your behalf is what the scripture says. He lives now to make intercession for you. He is a priest forever. And you know what? Who needs prayer here? I think every single one of us do, right? We need the Lord interceding for our behalf. When you are in need, guess what he's doing? He's interceding for you. When you are weak, he's interceding for you. When you are tempted, he's interceding for you. When you are discouraged, he's interceding for you. When you are persecuted, lonely, angry, upset, he is interceding on your behalf. He loves you. When you're empty, he's there for you. He's reaching out to you. He's praying for you. Think about it this way. You know what? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is why he writes these things so that you can understand that God is on your side. And you know what? God doesn't allow the fire to consume you. He doesn't allow the storms to overwhelm you. He doesn't allow you the waves and the water to drown you. He's there for you, interceding on your behalf, praying that you would become more like him and to seek his strength when you are weak, to keep your eyes on him. Do you remember Peter and Satan? What did the Lord say to Peter? I have prayed for you that Satan would not sift you as wheat. Imagine if Jesus hadn't been praying for him, what would have happened to Peter? Imagine us. If Jesus wasn't interceding on our behalf, where would you be? What would you be doing? Where would your life be today? I thank God through Christ Jesus that I am where I am because my high priest has been praying for me. He's been interceding on my behalf. See, when you are in a trial, yes, you see fog, just like that fog that's out there today. You can't see straight, but that's where your faith must come in. When you don't understand things, you must be moving by faith, not trusting in what you don't see, but trusting. I'm sorry, not trusting in what you see, but trusting in what you don't see. See, it is important for us as a people of God to trust God when the trials come, to trust in him. See, when we don't understand things, that is when faith kicks in. And what you must rest on is looking at the promises of God, looking at how great God has been in your life prior to Christianity. Was there anything to hold on to? But now when I see God doing great things in and through my life and in and through your life, when times are tough, I rest on those things. I trust in those things. I must believe in those things, knowing that those things are for me also. You know, we all go through trials. We're all going through the fog. But you got to understand that you must move by faith. And you must rest on what God has done and what God will do. See, God is great and he's interceding on your behalf. If there's anyone that's on your side, it is God himself. God is there interceding on your behalf. And this can only happen through faith in him. See, this happens when we, re- when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. He now works to give intercession on behalf of those that have surrendered their lives to him. Verse 26 goes on to say, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. This high priest that we have, he's not like the Levitical priest. He's not like priests today, right? You see priests today, and what are they? They're all sinners, aren't they? Why do people trust in them? The writer is saying, why do you guys trust in this Levitical priesthood? Why do you trust in these priests that man, that people anoint today? None of them are like our high priest that we should go to. He's the only mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because he's holy. He's holy in character. He has no sin. Because he's harmless. Harmless means blameless. There is no blame in him. You can't say that he's a sinner. You can't say that he did something wrong. Why else? Because he's undefiled. He's unstained. He isn't defiled by sin and filth like man is. And he's separated, as it says. It says there that he is separate from sinners. You know what? When Jesus came, he had contact, but he had no contamination. Isn't that awesome? Even though he was around sinners, there was no sin in him. How about us? When we're around sinners, the Lord says, you guys don't do that, okay? Okay. Don't be hanging out with them because you're also going to fall just like them. But for him, he was tempted like we are, but he had no sin. And it says there that he ascended higher than the heavens. Has anyone else risen from the dead? He is our high priest. Go to him. Don't go to any other man. Let us go to him. Let us surrender our lives to him because there is no one greater than he. He is the great I am, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, for us as a people, when you are in time of need, when things are going wrong, go to him. You know, a lot of us like to go to others or go to our parents and our family and friends. Jesus wants you to go to him. In verse 27 it says, Who does not need daily, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. Isn't this amazing that, you know what, the priest, every single one of them, and priests today, they all need to confess, don't they? They all needed sacrifices for themselves and for others. And they all needed to intercede on behalf of others. But Jesus Christ doesn't need to do that. He offered himself, he took upon your sins. Isn't that great love? For somebody to say, you know what? I'm going to pay the penalty for their sin, which is death, right? That's what we've begun with. The wages of sin is death. And this Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, said, you know what? I'm going to take their penalty, I'm going to suffer their abuse. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to take all that they deserve and put it on me because I love them. I will bleed for them. I will be tormented for them. I will be mocked for them. I will take their abuse upon me. I will pay what they deserve so that they don't have to do it. I will do it for them. This is love. The Bible talks about there is no greater love than this for a man to give his life for his friends. And Jesus gave his life for you, his friends. No one else will do this to give their life for those that hate them. When we still hated them at the time, right? We wanted nothing to do with them. And yet he still paid for our sins at the time when he paid for them. He says, I'm dying for their sins. Even though at this time they don't love me, I'm still paying their sins. That's great love. How many of us would die for those that hate us? I would say, man, let him take care of his own. Let him pay the price for what he deserves. But Jesus said, no, I love them. This is great love, love like no other. When he offered himself for us and when we place our faith in him, we are accepted by God. See, Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. When God the Father sees us face to face, he only sees the righteousness of his son in us. And no other priest could do this. Let's read and finish with verse 28. For the law appointed us as high priests, men who have weaknesses. I'm sorry, for the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, which was a thousand years later, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Remember, through David, it was revealed for all of us. See, the law appoints priests who are weak, but God has sworn and appointed his son, Jesus Christ, to be the priest forever. And he has been perfected forever. And how has this perfected happened? How has this perfection happened? By his suffering, by his atoning death. Jesus is now the perfect high priest who can sympathize with us, who knows temptation because he went through it. See, the priesthood of Levite has ended. And now the new priesthood through the order of Melchizedek has arrived in Jesus Christ. See, it's a shame because many of us, we forget this truth. Or we may not even know it until today. But one thing I want you to know is that Jesus is in heaven. And what he has told us is to come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace when we are in need. How many of us forget to go to Jesus? When we are in need. He's there for you. And he says don't just come. You know. Reserved or shy. Or, or a little nervous. He says come with confidence. Come with boldness. To the throne of grace. You know what you can come to that throne of grace. With great confidence he says. And I will not disappoint you. When you are in need, you will find mercy and you will find grace. Because this is what I'm here to do. Understand what my role is today. And don't ever doubt what I am telling you. See, for us, we have a high priest. And this high priest is like no other. And with that, we will close. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, for being our high priest, Lord. May we have a greater understanding today, Lord, of what your ministry is now, Lord. You, God, the Father, made an oath and swore that he would be doing this. May we believe it. And may we live by it, coming into the throne of grace when we are in need. But before we can do all of this, your word tells us that we need to come to you, to surrender our hearts to you, to come in faith to Jesus Christ in your atoning death, in your work. No one comes to the Father but through you, Lord. You tell us that. If there are any here that have not surrendered their lives or any that want to recommit their lives, this opportunity is always given. And God is calling. He calls his people to come to him in faith. He desires that none should perish but that all should come to eternal life. If there are any here that want to give or that want to surrender or commit their lives to him, this is a day of salvation. This is a day to say yes to him. I ask that you would raise your hand, and we will pray for you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else before we close? I know the Lord is calling. Don't let the whispers of the devil keep you. From receiving what God has for you. God is truth. God gives grace. And it only comes through faith. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Lord Jesus, you saw these two that raised your hand. Lord. Lord, I pray that you shower them, Lord. With your blessings, Lord. That these two, Lord Jesus, as they have humbled themselves, Lord, as they have come to you, Lord, that you would cleanse them, Lord, wash their feet. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower them. That they would yield to you. And that they would do what is pleasing to you. We know that those that are in Christ are new creations. We are brand new, Lord, when we say yes to you. Old things pass away. All things become brand new. We're new children in Christ. That's such a beautiful thing. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord Jesus, we give you all praise, glory, and honor, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.